0: morning and happy Father's Day, everybody. And to all the dads out there, we honor you and we thank God for you. And you know, I have always been thankful for my own father, but uh, my appreciation for him has grown since I became a dad myself a little over nine years ago. Uh, but I can honestly say that job of being a dad, that is one of my favorite things in life. Uh, my wife and I have three kids, many of you know that, and I love each one of them like crazy. I'm super proud of all of them. This past week was a perfect example, and, and I'll give you one reason why each of my kids made me a proud dad this week. First, our five-year-old, Leah Claire, Uh she rode a bike without training wheels for the very first time this week. And we were especially impressed because she did that at an earlier age than anyone else in our family. Then there's our seven-year-old, Kenna. Uh, I was really proud of her last week because without me asking, she offered to help me put this composter together, the, the one you see in that picture. She spent over an hour with me working with a wrench and helping out with whatever I needed, and she didn't complain at all. And I'm pretty sure at her age, uh, I would not have done that. Finally, uh, there's our nine-year-old, Luke. And I I was proud of Luke this week for several reasons, but the one that sticks out at the moment is what he did on this weird instrument called a melodica. If you're not familiar with it, a melodica kind of sounds like an accordion, but instead of squeezing it to make a sound, you have to blow through this little tube that sticks out of the side. Now, I bought that particular instrument about 20 years ago, but Luke has started taking piano lessons. And uh, last week, he picked up that melodica, and do you know what he started to play? Luke figured out how to play the main theme from Star Wars. Now, for a dad who is a bit of a geek himself, it doesn't get much better than your son playing Star Wars on a melodica. That's just really cool. But here's my point with all this there are great joys that go along with fatherhood. Yeah, it's challenging. No doubt about that. But fatherhood comes with great joy. Now, this morning we're starting a new series going through two books of the Bible 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and, and both of these books are really letters written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians in a city called Thessalonica. And I think it's especially cool that we're starting this series on Father's Day, because Paul wrote these letters as a spiritual father figure writing to his children. Now, at one point in 1 Thessalonians, he refers to himself as a father. And as we're going to see, Paul definitely had the pride and the joy that a father has when you see your children growing and learning and accomplishing great things. Now, we're going to focus on 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 today, but there is a verse in chapter 3 that I want to read to you right now. In this verse, Paul says, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? So, you know what that is? That's Paul telling his spiritual children, I am so excited that you're doing so well. It gives me so much joy to see you growing and becoming who God wants you to be. And as a father, I can totally relate to that because I love to see my son and my daughters taking steps toward maturity. I really do thank God every time I see that. But there is another reason I think it's appropriate that we would begin this series on Father's Day. Uh, So far... I've really emphasized the positive side of parenting, but the hard truth is not every moment in the Hartley home is one that I would put up on the screen and celebrate. Uh, Sometimes, to be honest, our kids drive us nuts. There is whining and complaining and talking back and plain old stubbornness. It's weird. Sometimes they just don't do what we tell them to do. Sometimes our children are not great examples for other kids. So what's up with that? Where did they learn to act that way? Well, there is an even harder truth, and it's this. I'm not always the example I should be for my children. Sometimes I'm a little short on patience. Sometimes I don't make the best decisions, and when I'm having a bad day, I don't always do a good job of showing love. Just a few weeks ago, uh, during breakfast, I snapped at one of the kids in a way that was totally undeserved, and that still bothers me that I did that. And yet, here I am, an imperfect dad standing up to preach a sermon on Father's Day. So, So what do we do with this? What should we expect this morning as we read 1 Thessalonians? And we really expect that reading this will make a difference in me, in my imperfect family, in your imperfect family. Well, I'll tell you what, I've been studying this letter for a while now, and I am convinced that God will use this time to bring positive change into our lives. Today's sermon is called, A Great Example. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, there is a pattern in these letters, First and Second Thessalonians. And this is a pattern that God wants to see duplicated in our lives. The first part of the pattern is that Paul was a great example for the Thessalonian Christians. He, he just did a great job of being that spiritual father figure for them but the story doesn't end there. The the Thessalonians learned from Paul, that was part one, but then there was a part two. They became a great example for others, and that's how the church is supposed to work. So, the reputation of these Thessalonian Christians, it spread beyond their city into the wider region, and and eventually around the world. Now, Paul was not perfect. He was still human. He, He still had his struggles, The Thessalonians weren't perfect either, but God still did something special in all of them. And together, they had this huge positive influence that reaches down to us today. So, what about me? And what about you? If you are a father or a parent or someone who has younger people in your life who look up to you, Would you like to learn how to be a better example? I know I would. And I'm here to tell you today, God can do that. Uh, You'll you'll never be perfect in this life. But here's what we're going to learn today. No matter what's in the past, I can be a better example from this point on by the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's real. That's really good news for all of us. So let's dive in. Let's hear what God has to say. And we'll start by reading the first two verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul begins this letter with kind of a standard greeting. He says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Now, if you're familiar with Paul's other letters in the Bible, like Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians, and Philippians, uh, this introduction may sound kind of similar because Paul usually starts his letters with a greeting like this. And if you don't know the people or the stories involved here, these first two verses may not grab your attention. In fact, they, they may seem kind of dull, but there's actually a great story here. And knowing some of that context will help us get more out of what we read. So, let's take a second and get some background. Now, you can find the backstory of this letter over in the book of Acts. And you may already know this, but Paul was the first cross-cultural missionary in the history of Christianity. Early in life, he had been a rising star among the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, and he even persecuted Christians because he saw them as a threat to the purity of his Jewish faith. Everything changed, though, when Paul had a supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and from that day on, Paul devoted himself to sharing the good news about Jesus, to traveling the world and planting churches. Paul went on several missionary journeys in his life, and one of those journeys took him to modern-day Greece. Uh, We have a map here, and and you can see this is the the area of the Mediterranean Sea over on the left side of this map. You you can see the boot of Italy on the right side. uh, That's the area that we'd call Turkey today. And you can just see Africa peeking up at the bottom of the map. But in that center section, though, the upper center section, that's Greece and the city of Thessalonica. Was, was built in the northern part of that landmass in a region called Macedonia. Now, if you go to Greece today, you can still visit this city. These days, it's called Thessaloniki, and over a million people live in and around that city. Even back in Paul's time, though, this place was extremely significant. Uh, Paul was writing during the heyday of the Roman Empire, And Thessalonica was situated right along the main highway that led over to Rome. And when Paul came to town, he would have found a thriving city that was uh, very busy in trade and commerce and religion. Christianity hadn't arrived yet, but there were plenty other religions uh, being practiced in this city. And now here's what's so impressive to me about Paul When he went on his missionary journeys, he would go to these cities where he had never been before, just march into town and start preaching. They didn't know him. He didn't know them. He would just stand up and say, hey, listen up, everybody. There's a man named Jesus of Nazareth. He lived over on the other side of the Mediterranean, and guess what? He was the Son of God. He was not only the Son of God, Jesus is God. And He came to this earth and He died a terrible death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then He rose from the dead. And if you surrender control of your life and put your faith in Him, Jesus will forgive you and give you a new life. And and He will give you the promise of eternal life in heaven, forever, with God. Now seriously, can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine this stranger marching into town and just starting into a sermon and then the people of Thessalonica hear about this Jesus who they never heard of before and then they just say, okay, sounds good to us. We'll just make our whole lives about Jesus now. Can you imagine that working? Well, the amazing thing is, that's exactly what happened. In the case of Thessalonica, Acts chapter 17 says that Paul showed up with his companions, Silas and Timothy. And first, they went to the Jewish synagogue, and that was Paul's normal practice to start in the synagogue, and that was uh, actually a smart idea because the Jews already had the Old Testament Scriptures. Old Testament already had had those prophecies that pointed to Jesus pointed to the Messiah. And so, Paul could say, hey, you've read all these prophecies and I'll tell you who they're about. They, they all came true in the person of Jesus. Now, when Paul came to Thessalonica, he didn't have much time. He preached in the synagogue for three consecutive Sabbaths, three Saturdays, and, in, and at first the results were very encouraging. A large number of Jews accepted Christ, and then a large number of Greeks did as well. And that meant there was a strong nucleus for a new Christian church. But then, trouble started. Naturally, some people were threatened by this new movement because it was taking people away from those established religions. So, one group decided to stamp out this new church And they accused Christians of defying Caesar, the Roman emperor, because Christians claimed that Jesus was the king. It's kind of a ridiculous accusation, but all the same, persecution broke out against the Christians. And not only were Paul and his companions in danger, the new believers were too. Some of those Thessalonians were dragged in front of the city officials by an angry mob, Now, Paul knew that things would cool off if he left town, so as much as he hated to do it, Paul left Thessalonica after only about a month. And that was extremely painful because Paul and Silas and Timothy, they loved the people in this new church. But they moved on, first to a town called Berea, and then to the great city of Athens. But while Paul was in Athens… He, he was just dying to find out how the Thessalonians were getting along. So he sent Timothy back up there to do some fact-finding. Timothy made it to Thessalonica, and after a short visit, he went back south, and he found Paul in the city of Corinth, where he was working to plant a new church. Now when Timothy arrives, Paul is very anxious to get the report. and Timothy says, "Is Thessalonian Christians?" Uh, They're not only surviving as a church, they're not just doing okay, they are thriving, they're doing great, and that was when Paul wrote this letter. So now, knowing all of that, let's go back and read those first two verses again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. So those just, they're not just empty words, are they? Paul really was so thankful. Think about the report he could have gotten from Timothy. Paul could have heard that the the authorities had arrested or even killed these Christians. But that hadn't happened. Even worse, Paul could have heard that these Christians decided to abandon their new faith because it was just too difficult, but that hadn't happened either. So, you can be sure, whenever Paul thought about these dear friends, there was a smile on his face and a prayer of thanks on his lips because despite the odds, the Thessalonians remained faithful. Now, it's smart for us to think about the uphill battle these Christians had to face. First, God called the Thessalonians to be different from their surrounding culture. And you know what? That, that is hard enough in and of itself. It's so much easier to fit in and go along with the crowd. But as soon as these people gave their lives to Jesus, they couldn't just continue as normal citizens of the city. Uh, we're going to see in this letter These Christians were surrounded by idol worship and sexual immorality and all kinds of things that were just offensive to God. So, in order to be faithful, they had to be weird. And I would say Christians today are in a similar situation. If Christians today are going to be faithful, we can't just follow the patterns and the lifestyles that we see around us, we're called to be different. So, that was one challenging part of God's calling for the Thessalonian Christians, but that wasn't the extent of it. God also called them to be strong in the face of persecution. Now, I suppose there could be some of us here who have experienced real persecution, but most of us really haven't. We haven't been dragged into court or threatened with jail or bodily harm because of our faith. And it may seem unfair that God would ask this of the Thessalonian Christians, but this is a part of our calling too. And in the event that it becomes illegal to practice our faith, God will ask the same thing of us, to carry on, to be faithful. And in many parts of the world, this is already happening. So, how did the Thessalonian Christians manage to carry out such a difficult calling? How how could they be a great example in in, in difficult circumstances? Well, to find out, let's keep reading. Verse 3, Paul writes, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this verse is super important. Paul is pointing out some exemplary behavior from this church, but he's also pointing to character traits that made this behavior possible. So first, let's identify the behavior. Uh, what were they doing? How were they living? Well, Paul mentions work and labor, and so they, they were serving God in all kinds of ways. They were working to build the church. And they were doing that in the face of tremendous opposition. That's why Paul mentions a third aspect of their behavior. Um, when, When times got rough, they endured. They didn't stop being the church. So, what were the qualities or the character traits that enabled them to work and labor and endure? Paul mentions three things, doesn't he? Faith, love, and hope. Now, if you've read the New Testament, and especially Paul's letters, you have run across these three qualities over and over again. These things are essential for every follower of Christ. For example, uh, you can look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. So, God is looking for people who will put their faith in Him. And that's more than just believing that God exists, it's choosing to trust Him. Having faith in God is is putting your life and your future in His hands. And then what about love? You might be familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's the love chapter in the Bible, and Paul wrote that as well. And that chapter begins with this verse, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So I could stand up here as a preacher and say all kinds of great things, but if I'm not speaking out of a genuine heart that's motivated by love, all I'm doing is just making noise. So so love is not optional for followers of Jesus. Uh, Love is essential. And then there's hope. Later on in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes about Christians who have already died Listen to what he says. He writes, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. In other words, Christians have a hope that others just don't have. The rest of the world has hope in name only. it's, It's just a word on a greeting card. It's just wishful thinking. But if you are in Christ, You can have confidence that God will carry you to the best possible future. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but that day is coming. And hope for tomorrow will help you endure today. So these three qualities are essential, faith, love, and hope. And if you want to be faithful to God's calling in your life, if you want to be a great example for your own kids or for others who look up to you, We've got to be full of faith, full of love, and full of hope. So let's do a a little personal inventory here. How are we doing in these three areas? And let's be clear, we're not talking about the world's definition of these qualities. We're talking about God's perspective. We're talking about a Christ-centered faith, a Christ-centered love, and a Christ-centered hope. So ask yourself these questions. In regard to your faith, how do you react when it's tough to put your trust in God? When God tells you to do something or when he tells you to stop doing something, what's your response? Do you choose to believe that, yeah, God is always good, his word is always true, and his plan is always better than my plan? And then do you step out on faith and follow wherever he leads? So how, how would you answer this question overall, uh, would you say that your faith is strong, mediocre, or weak? Three categories. If you want, you can write down your answer in your note sheet there. Overall, is your faith strong, mediocre, or weak? And then how about love? How do you react in those moments when you don't feel like showing love? You know, Jesus did not put limits on who we should love. Or when we should love. He said the most important commandments, period, are number one, love God above all else. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. So the game plan is pretty much love everybody always. (laughs) Love everybody always. So in those times when someone has wronged you or someone is getting on your nerves or you're forced to be around someone you just don't like, how are you doing at showing them love? Also, how are you doing at showing your love for God? Are are you making God the top priority in your life? Or are you letting other things, or are you letting people crowd him out? Overall, would you say your love is strong, mediocre, or weak? And then finally, uh, take a second to evaluate the level of hope in your life. How do you react when you're facing adversity or temptation or persecution? When you get to a difficult moment, are are you able to uh, pass that test because you have a rock-solid hope? and a a joy-producing confidence that better times are coming? Do you you have that belief that God will carry you to a better future? How much hope do you have? Is it strong, mediocre, or weak? Well, chances are um, we all need to grow in at least one or maybe all three of these areas and we already know if we want to be a great example, we've got to grow in faith, in love, and in hopes. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we grow? Well, if you've been at Plum Creek the past couple of months, you already know the, the only way to grow is to get connected to Jesus and stay connected to Him. That's what we talked about for seven weeks during our Habits series. And here's how it works. We grow in faith, in love, and in hope when we're rooted in God's grace, when we're committed to follow Jesus, when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and when we're connected to the church, the body of Christ. As we finish reading today's chapter, we can see the Thessalonians showed us how this is done. Now let's go ahead and read verses 4 through 10 of First Thessalonians 1. Paul writes, You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So, let's remember the story that Paul is referring to here. He's looking back on that time when he and Silas and Timothy showed up and started preaching the good news about Jesus. And the the Thessalonians were so quick to believe Paul's words and put their faith in Jesus. And why was that? Why was it so fast? Well, it's because it wasn't just words, was it? Paul didn't show up with an argument. He showed up with the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Thessalonians witnessed that. They, they understood that Paul was talking about something real. He was pointing them to the truth. It was a truth they had always been looking for, but they'd never been able to find it. So, what did they do? They welcomed the message. They put their faith in Jesus. They found the grace of God. And they were no longer in that position of trying to earn God's approval. They could just accept the forgiveness and the salvation that comes through Jesus. And when they accepted that grace, they made a commitment. They they said, we're going to follow Jesus no matter what, no matter how tough it gets. And we already know they were going to have it tough. So then, how did they endure in the midst of suffering? We saw that in verse 6, with the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by God's Holy Spirit. They were also encouraged by the church itself. They continued to follow Paul's example. They encouraged and sharpened each other. And then they became an example for the Christians all over Greece, Macedonians in the north, and Achaeans in the south, they all heard about the faithfulness of these Thessalonian Christians. So, where does that leave us today? What can we expect God to do in our lives? Will God turn Plum Creek into a great example like this church here? Well, to some extent, He's done that here. I look up to so many great examples of believers at Plum Creek in the present, in the past. We also know that we're not perfect. Um, Even those of us who have been following Jesus for years and years, we still have a long way to go. But here's what we can expect. It's the principle that we started with. No matter what's in the past, I can be a better example from this point on by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now, if you have not yet begun a life-changing relationship with Jesus, you can't expect that growth. And even if you do have a relationship with Jesus, but you're not welcoming the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can't expect that growth either. But if you do belong to Jesus, and you're staying connected to Him, and you're open to the Holy Spirit as He convicts you and transforms you and empowers you, then yes, you and I can absolutely become far better examples than we are today. That's what God wants to do, and that's what God will do. It's the process of being made holy, of becoming more like Jesus. And in the end, a Christ-centered faith, love, and hope will lead to visible life change. Just like the Thessalonians, we'll learn to be different than the surrounding culture whenever necessary. And just like the Thessalonians, we'll learn to be strong in the face of adversity, temptation, or even persecution. And as that transformation takes place, you will be- become a greater and greater example, someone worth looking up to. And the more we have people at Plum Creek being transformed into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, man, we will be an encouragement to others, both inside and outside this church. The question is, are we ready to grow are we ready to say yes to Jesus? I want to close by letting you know about someone who said yes to Jesus this week. Samantha Marquette has been coming to Plum Creek for a while now, and she had a sense that God was calling her to be baptized. This past Wednesday, she sat down with Troy Mower and had a conversation with him, and, and Troy just shared some scripture and shared his heart. And at the end of that conversation, Samantha said, you know what? I don't want to wait anymore. I want to be baptized right now. It was a Wednesday afternoon, and we didn't even have time to heat the water. But that was okay. Uh, Check out this video. All right, Samantha, I'm excited for you. It's pretty cool. We just got to talk today, and uh, you're ready to take this step. So uh, you believe in Jesus? I do. do. You want to commit your life to Him? Absolutely. All right. Well, if you'll just repeat that confession after me, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I accept Him. And I accept Him as my Savior. As my Savior and my Lord. And my Lord. Beautiful. All right, Samantha. Upon your confession that you believe Jesus died on the cross for you, you're being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Woo! All right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's just a great smile on her face, isn't it? And After that baptism, Samantha said, you know, for a long time I had been holding back. I'd been hesitating. But I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad I didn't wait any longer. You know, being baptized is a huge way to say yes to Jesus. But really, it's just the beginning of a life where we learn to say yes to Jesus every day. So, how is God calling you this morning? Is He calling you to be different than the culture that surrounds us? Is He calling you to be strong in difficult times? Is he calling you to a greater faith or a greater love or a greater hope? If that's you, don't miss the rest of this series because First and 2 Thessalonians will give us real help in these areas. But it may be that God is calling you to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe he's calling you to be baptized. Whatever God is saying to you, I'm praying that all of us will follow the great examples that have come before us. And I'm praying that we'll all say yes to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the great examples that we see in your word. It's encouraging that they weren't perfect. They just uh, stepped out on faith and they were open to the work of your spirit in their lives. And, And that can happen to any of us. And you can transform us and we can become more and more like jesus as time goes by so that we can encourage and even inspire others god i pray that we will be a church like that i know it's already happened but i pray that uh, you'll just grow us to the to the point where it, it's beyond any explanation besides just the miraculous work of your spirit in our hearts God, I pray that uh, we'll all understand how you want us to say yes to you today and that we'll all take that step. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.